is within the trails we ride. You're listening to the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick is a horseman, trainer, international clinician, and author who helps empower horse people from all over the world with the skills, knowledge, and mindsets needed to create trusting partnerships with their horses. Warwick offers a free seven-day trial to his comprehensive online video library that includes hundreds of full-length training videos and several home study courses at videos.warwickshiller.com. G'day everyone, welcome back to the Journey on Podcast. I'm your host Warwick Schiller and my special guest this week is a lady named Sue Pagini and Sue has been a transformational life coach for the last 25 years and uh, uh, among the things listed on her bio is she's an award-winning author, she's a motivational speaker on welcoming life's changes and challenges, she's a leadership development institute trainer, she's an entrepreneur, she's a horsewoman. She's a transformational life coach. She's a certified intuitive healer. And get this, she's a lightning strike survivor and a brain aneurysm survivor. So, yeah, I, this lady is something else. I just, I had such a great time talking to her. And, uh, you know, she's had several near-death experiences. And, you know, like anybody who's had those, they really will impact how you show up in the world and uh, yeah, Sue was just amazing to talk to. Can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Sue Pagini, welcome to the Journey on Podcast. Mark, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, I'm excited you're here. You know, it's interesting how I end up with podcast guests. And, you know, sometimes they're people I meet on the way. You know, when I first started out having guests, they were people I already knew Sometimes I get people um, who are suggested to me, sometimes by other podcast guests and just listeners. And every once in a while, I'll get someone who emails me and said, I would be a good podcast guest. Usually they're not a very good podcast guest. I did have one the other day that was amazing and she was self-suggested. You actually, uh, I think you're a subscriber to my online videos and you had commented on something or emailed about something and you have a signature at the bottom of your email that had your website. And so me being curious, I just clicked on it and I started reading all about you. I'm like, oh, I clicked on that for a reason because you are the perfect journey on podcast guest. You've had quite the journey and I want to unravel it here, but let's start out. uh, Can you tell us what you currently do? And then we're going to backtrack and figure out how you got there. Okay. Well, currently uh, COVID has kind of put a, did put kind of a stop to things. Um, but I do Zoom calls and online speaking and in-person speaking. Prior to um, COVID, I traveled for uh, all kinds of workshops and clinics, not horse-related, uh, the work I do related. And the work I do is called Light Your Life on Fire. So through the many unusual experiences I've had, I've written a couple of books, and one of them is the most recent. I'm working on number three, but the most recent is called The Expect the Extraordinary. And it's about um, extraordinary experiences and how they change our lives. So um, I'm now that COVID is over and I've relocated to Florida from Virginia. I'm now working on book number three, and I have my horses back in my life, so I'm super busy with five of them. So 
that's kind of where I'm, I'm speaker, um, seminar leader. That's what my path has been prior to this has been after corporate America. I spent right quite a bit of so time. So you had it. Yeah, you had a background in corporate America. So tell us about how you got into your background in corporate America. What what led you to down that path? Were you in? Uh, you were in. Uh, what were you, What did you do? You in corporate sales and marketing? I was in marketing. Yes, yes. So um, that was in New York City. Um, I've been in different locations, but New York was where I was basically based. And we uh, did all kinds of marketing programs for um, Fortune 500 companies. And what led me to that was just it was the universe leading me to that. Um, I was a single mother. Um, my first NDE um, kind of brought me to life as it should well, be. Well, let's, let's just slow down here a little bit. I wasn't <laughs> going to jump into that yet. But, oh, sorry. So if, if you listeners are not aware what an NDE is, it's a near-death experience. And um, that's that was going to be one of the main topics I want to get to. Okay, so, well. Well, you've, you've got the cat out of the bag. So when, when did this... Let's start right out there. Where did this NDE happen and what was it? Uh, oh, I'm sorry I jumped the gun here a little that's bit. That's all right. That, that's but all right. It, that is basically what moved me into a divorce, single mother, and then into corporate America. So it was the late, mid to late 70s. That was 100 years ago. Um, I was mountain climbing in Arizona, as if we'd have a lot of mountains there, with my former husband. And... Um, we went up to Indian Caves, this is in southern Arizona, and it was August, and that's when the big rains come. Um, but it was great that day, we went up, we viewed the cave, saw all the hieroglyphics, which was very fascinating, and uh, we weren't there but 10 minutes, and there was a massive storm outside, rainstorm. Now, when it rains in Arizona, the uh, land is so dry that it is rivets as it moves along. So we were up quite high. He ran down to get the motorcycle um, started again for fear that he was going to, we were going to be without transportation if it got flooded. Right. They have flash floods there a lot, don't they? A lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. So he ran down, did that, and he said, make your way down, scooch on your bottom if you have to, but make your way down. So I started making my way down and I started to scooch on my bottom and I said, oh, look. There's a pole right next to me. I'll just grab that. Pull myself up, and it was a metal pole. And with that, lightning went through me and, uh, and into the ground. So it has to have an entrance and exit point. And um, the only thing that I remember from that was I was standing up in the next minute, uh, and I don't remember this until later, I had mud in my mouth and I was on my I was on my face. But during that time, there was a voice that came to me, and it said, "You have to go back to the children. You can't leave now." And it said, which was most interesting, "You have to move your legs back and forth, back and forth, in order to keep the fire from reaching your heart." So that is what, and it was an ancient voice, <clears throat> excuse me, not a voice of today. Um, so I moved my legs back and forth, back and forth. Um, I was heading over to the right, which is where there were lots of light. And didn't go there. 
because I, I felt I should come back and, and move my legs again. And when I did, I woke up and, um, my clothes were melted in those days. We wore clothes that were <laughs> polyester and mm. it melted on my body. And my husband down at the end of the hill could see that I was struck because I was steam was coming off of my body. He runs up, grabs me, puts me on the motorcycle. We get to a fire cabin that was used by the fire force, uh, fire department. They start a fire. I go to the hospital. You don't know how lucky you are. We lost two young men last week in the same location. So that was my first NDE. And with that came really the beginning of my life. I was a young mother in a very poor marriage. Uh, and I pretty much felt I could do anything after that for some reason. I couldn't talk to anyone about near-death experience. Um, people would turn around and walk away if you tried to venture that subject. Uh, my former husband wouldn't allow me to talk to anyone about it because he said he would lose his job. So uh, it put me on a path of how much exploration can I do? And so I studied and I went to all kinds of different folks who were very involved in the world that I was, I was getting into. Uh, but in the meantime, the world, the world of spiritual uh, connection. Mm, yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Can we just, can we just back up to the NDE for a minute? Cause I kind of want to, sure. I want to um, unplug <laughs> that. I've, I've spoken to some people who have had uh, an NDE and had a similar experience where they were told you need to go back, your you know your work's not done yet, that sort of thing. Were so you said there was an an ancient voice. Was it an ancient language no. that you somehow understood? It? So it was it was in English, but yes. it was uh, did it? What, what makes you think it was an ancient voice? Or what what makes it you was, quantify it as an ancient voice? It was stilted. It wasn't. The English that we speak today was slightly stilted, um, and it uh, it also told me that you must. When it said you must go back to the children, visually I could see in in my mind a picture of my son on the left and my daughter on the right, who were very young at the time. Um, and so the voice was. I want. I'm. I'm thinking it was heavy. I don't mean heavy. I mean powerful. That's the word yeah. that I mean. It was, yeah. it was powerful, and it was an older voice. It, mm-hmm. it didn't feel like it was a young, and, and I'll tell you why for that later when we get into any. <laughs> the other NDEs, they were different. <laughs> no, the other ones I've had were different. Um, were there any, could you, like some people I've to, I spoke to that have had NDEs, they, it's almost a little bit like, a plant medicine journey where you are having a conversation with a a being, a guide, a whatever, and they can actually see them. Uh, Sometimes I've had people tell me that they're in a a place of like beautiful green fields and blue skies, and then they get a voice to kind like a lot of light. Um, Did you have any visuals? Could you actually see anything apart from thinking about your kids? uh, Yes, I could see a huge light off to the right and this voice, and I call it an angelic presence um, because it was so enveloping, uh, wanted to make sure I was safe. Um, 
but I saw a huge white light off to the right that was very magnetic. It's like you definitely want to go to the light. That's where the safety is. That's where the love is. That's where uh, all the things that you're looking for in your life, it's all there. Um, but that voice stopped me from heading in that direction. But I did not visually see someone at that time. I did not visually okay. see an entity at that time. I just felt their presence and their voice. Okay. And the, the moving your legs thing, were they, was that telling you to get up and walk or was that saying put the fire out that, you, you know, is that, yeah, no, that it was put just, the fire out? Your... Yeah, back and forth, back and forth in the mud so that it was it would stop the progression of the electricity going up to my heart. As it, mm. is, as it is today, I still don't have uh, feeling in the tips of my right hand. Um, my left foot um, drops a little bit because the lightning entered into uh, my arm, across my body, down my left leg, into the ground. So I still have some physical issues to deal with. They're not big. Um, but you, if you are a runner, which I was, I would have to make sure that I lifted that left leg up as high as I could so that I wouldn't trip. So it went in your right hand and out your left leg? Correct. So it went diagonally across your body? Across the body. Correct. Wow. Um, well, let's back up a bit about you said you were a runner and then you were mountain climbing. Uh, what? So you were relatively an athletic person by the sounds of it and sound like you were a little adventurous? Yes, yes. I think um, because our first introduction was through horses, and we'll get to this later, I'm sure, um, which is the most fascinating part of my life right now. I didn't get on a horse until I was 60. Never been in a barn, never ridden a horse. That has been the greatest, and I've done a lot of wonderful things in my life. That has been the greatest gift that I could have ever had was to make that connection and realize that the spiritual component that I've been working in all these years was very relevant, is very re relevant to the energy of the horse and what they can do for a human. So yes, I've been unbelievably, um, excited, uh, thrilled at all the opportunities that I've had. So I, I have had a very, and still having today, a very wonderful, exciting life. But the, the, from a universal perspective, all of the challenges that we, your audience, myself, you, that we are meeting today in our lives is about projecting our personal power and empowerment forward. The things that we thought we couldn't do, we're now being asked to step up and do. Because energetically, the entire world is changing. I mean, it's terrible to turn on a television right now because there's so, right. much, so much sadness. So anyway, yes, I have had a very exciting and still very exciting life. So you said that this this first NDE, I, you talk about them like um, hamburgers. Oh, yeah, my second hamburger. Uh, my, 
your first NDE, you said that's what led you to corporate America. And, and see, I was thinking, I was imagining, knowing a little bit about your story, that you had the corporate America story and you had the NDE. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you were going down the path that we're all conditioned to go down and like a cog in the machine sort of thing. And then you had an NDE. So I'm interested to hear how did the NDE lead you to corporate America? When you, when we as, as human beings understand that we're not alone, so that's what that voice on that hill gave me, is you're not alone. I'm here to help you find your, light your life on fire. That's what that voice was about. So I took a lot of chances to, to get to that corporate space. And what that taught me um, by being in that corporate environment um, was that I could do anything that was not expected of me, that it was not just about a corporate job. It was about learning finance. It was about learning um, how to deal with large groups of people. It was about doing things I never thought in a million years I would ever be doing, particularly in New York City with an, with a, with an audience of 200 people. So that's what that voice gave me. That's what the NDE gave me. It gave me freedom. Freedom to be all I could be. And that's where I started on that path to go from one job to another job. I started out that life, Warwick, as a young mother with two children, knowing I'm going to be divorcing. I had no job. I had no college degree. And I did not know how I was going to get from point A to point B. I just knew it had to happen. And the universe was there. I call it the universe. I don't know what other people have called it. Uh, I'm, I'm down with that. And we refer to that a lot on the podcast. So let's go with the universe. Yeah. Universe is, is a good name. So the universe has been there for lots of different reasons. For me and for you and... If we pay attention and if we're aware and if we're in the moment, we get messages all the time. So the universe propelled me into, oh, here, and it, this is a fun story that's part of this second book. I was fortunate enough to be in a really wonderful job in New York City, and I was making a great deal of money. Uh, which allowed me to put children through college and marry a second time and travel all over the world to the Olympics and all kinds of great places. Then I'm in New York one night. I'm with my new fiance. We're walking down the street on Madison Avenue. There is a big metal fence behind us, and I don't have my glasses on, so I can't begin to see who's behind us. Two young men walk up, and they say, move to the fence. One of the guys had a gun. This is about 8 o'clock on a Sunday night, and across the street on Madison were all of these families going out for ice cream and taking their babies for a walk before they put them down and that kind of thing. So he, he moves us up to the fence. There was a short guy and a tall guy. And the tall guy said, give me all your money and your jewelry. I had a new necklace on. My fiancé, Bob, said, don't take that. She just got it. And the tall guy starts laughing and says, hey, I'm going to give it to my mother for safekeeping. 
So he yanked the necklace off my neck. With that, he took all the money from Bob and my bag and so on and so forth. The money from the bag. He didn't take the bag. Um, and then the short guy, I can tell, is really nervous. Because now he's got this gun in his hand and his hand is shaking. And a voice comes to me again. And the voice says, this is a different voice. This is more powerful. It's more male-oriented. Drop to your knees and tell them that you are pregnant. Now, across the street again on Madison are all of these people, and they have now stopped, and they are looking. I dropped to my knees. I said, I'm going to throw up. I'm pregnant. They said, the tall guy said, lady, I don't know if you're telling me the truth or not, but I'm going to blow your brains out. And I said, then that's what you're going to have to do because I can't get up. And with that, he turned around and looked around and he sees all these people standing there. And he says to me, well, isn't this your lucky day? We're done here. And off they sauntered across the street to Fifth Avenue to the Metropolitan Museum. I believe that's the museum that was there. At any rate, they were caught by the police. There's a bit of a story in there. And they ended up being two young men who had killed two doormen on the west side of New York the month before because they didn't have enough money. And that voice that time, basically, if, you, if I look at it years later, I go, oh, have you not paid attention to us? How about this voice? How about saving your life again? What else do you need to know? And what I realized as the years have passed is that I, I can't tell you how lucky I am to be here today and how ex excited I am to be here with you today. I love to share this story, not because it's my story, but because we as human beings work so hard every day to maximize our lives. And we get pushed down sometimes. In the past two or three years, it's been a real push for a lot of people been a real struggle, a challenge. But what's important to know is that there are these extraordinary beings on the other side. These extraordinary, for me, it's angelic beings. Someone asked me not too long ago when I was on a Zoom call, do you know the names? And I said, no, I don't know the names. I know some entities who have come to me but you would know them and everybody else would know them. Um, so that's why being in corporate America was important. Because I was able to go into clients' gatherings and talk about none of this stuff, of course. No NDEs. No, no, no. We're talking sales, honey. We're talking right. the bottom line here. Um but how are you going to get there the fastest? How are you going to get there so the company succeeds and you succeed and so on and so forth? So I was able to take my feelings about what was on the, what I call the other side, my feelings about the other side, and take it to these corporations. Now, I got to work with a fabulous Avon Incorporated, which is a women's cosmetic company in New York. In those days, it was still a very popular company. Um, and we, they had an offshoot there. Uh, 
empower, it was, I can't remember the name of it right now, life something about empowering corporate women so that they, in fact, made a great impact on these corporations. So I got a chance to go in and talk to them. The good news is it was a buster of a workshop again and again and again. The bad news is the women quit their jobs because they couldn't make an impact there. So they went out on their own. But they did make that, an impact, just not there. Just not there, right. Yeah. But they all, that all came from the voices of we're here. You can take that step. You can do this new thing. Just go do it. I mean, not in a million years as a young mother in a terrible marriage with two small children would I have thought that I would have been in corporate America in New York City. And that wasn't me. That was the help, the guidance, the love that I received. Okay. I'm sure you have other questions. I'm getting off on a tangent here. <laughs> oh, no. that's the, the whole podcast is about those sorts of tangents. Uh, wow. So... Let me ask you this, growing up, did you you grow up religious at all? Was there any spiritual stuff? Yeah. There were, there was religion. My mother took us to the Methodist church. I grew up as a military brat. Um, Oh, you're the one who's moved all over the world. Like you've moved 35 times or something. That's that's correct. Yes, yes. So, um, but I have tried every religion but the Jewish faith. You name it, I've been there. All the Protestant religions, uh, churches, um, Catholicism, um, I've been there. Nothing worked. I, I Was this all before, like, you're, before you were married, had the kids? Yes. So you, you okay, so, yes. see, so you, <laughs> you didn't just happen to get struck by lightning in Arizona. You were a spiritual seeker and couldn't find the thing. So it said, hey, excuse me, let me give you a message. It's out there and it's not where you've been looking for it. Right. Exactly. 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 (laughs) Beautifully said. That's exactly what it is. Let me light you up. So that yeah. you can you can find the answers you're looking for. See that that for me that casts a whole different light on what seemed like was a random event in Arizona. But I, I really think if you are on that spiritual path, if you are a seeker of that, you'll eventually find it or it'll, it'll, find, it'll find you. And so for me, that, you're just telling me that that totally changes the whole story because, you know, like I said, now it's not a random event in Arizona. It's finally like the universe gave you a sign and then it gave you another sign on the, the street in New York City. You know, I've had, I've talked about it in the podcast before, so I won't go into the, into the story, but I've had, I've had the experience of if the universe gives you a sign and you don't listen, it gives you a bigger sign one that you will listen to and it preys on your insecurities or your fears or whatever. So it gives you the sign that makes you go, okay, I'm listening. And it sounds like you had, so you count when you talked about your NDEs, are you counting this mugging as one of those? No, 
<laughs> okay, okay. Oh, sorry if I laughed loud in the microphone then, but okay, now it's getting interesting. Okay, continue <laughs> on. So you you have the new fiancé, you have the the rubbery thing, and the voice comes to you again. What do you do with that that second visitation of that voice? Does it motivate you to change your life, do something different, try different things? What What comes of that? I think that it stayed in the background because the, at that particular time, I was starting a brand new job in the city, brand new job. Uh, really excited about it. Uh, the opportunities to make a lot of money and put kids through college was really like paramount. So that stayed in the background, but I remember it so well because I remember the energy of the voice. The voice was immediate. It was get it done now, pay attention now. Um, So I I just put that in the background. And it then began, as we get into the story later on, it then began to filter into why I should have been listening. Um, It wanted me to know as it did with the lightning accident, that we are here. Now, you're going to go through this phase, Sue, of being in corporate America, and it's going to teach you this and teach you that, and it's going to set you up for what you're really going to be doing long-term. And so I really put that in the background and went through the next seven or eight years of corporation stuff the thing that opened my eyes was to work for Avon as an outside consultant, marketing consultant, and take this group of women and realize that better than 50% of them left their jobs. That fulfilling your desire to be all you can be regardless of the obstacles that come in your way is what you're here for. Because the more empowered you are, the more empowered I am, the more empowered Mary Jane Smith is, the more impact we make, the more love. And I'm, I'm going to use this term as we get into our session here. The more love that is spread, because it comes first love of self. And then that spreads to others and it makes other. It's just it's an energetic transmission of a frequency thing that takes place. When my heart connects to your heart, and now my heart connects to these horses, and that expands it even more. So I am just hoping, and, and, and not hoping, I desire that others will live the fullest life possible. That you don't have to be struck by lightning. You don't have to go through what I've gone through. Um... And put your life on the line when it's not necessary. When it's all about do what you love. Be who you want to be. Maximize who you are in this lifetime. That's why we came anyway. So that's another whole story about information that I received as the years have gone by. Um, I receive like visual context. So I've received visual scenes when I'm very quiet. I'm out in nature early in the morning, usually because I get up like four o'clock. I usually get a lot 
down between four and six. The angels want us to know that regardless of what we go through here, that this opportunity of life on this planet is an is a huge gift. And if we look at it as a trial, an error versus a gift, it's a gift. And it's setting us up to do miraculous things, extraordinary things, to make extraordinary differences. I never would have thought in a million years that I would be speaking with and connecting with a trainer of horses. And this is what we're talking about. Now, how extraordinary is that? On your part, don't you think it's awfully extraordinary that this is the word that you're spreading? On one hand, yes. And on the other hand, it's like, no, that's, that's, that's kind of how it's supposed to be. You know, that's, yeah. On one hand, it's like super extraordinary. On the other hand, it's like, yeah, that's, 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 that's the thing I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I think about, I think what you're talking about in a lot of this is, finding out what your soul's purpose is here why why are you why are you here what is your what is your job here and you know you kind of you said before you're talking about love and you're talking about self-love first and i think that is the thing that's that's where all the that's where all the work comes in is getting to understand yourself and change those stories you have about yourself, you know, the, the, the things you tell yourself about yourself and heal all that trauma. And that's the thing I was going to ask you, you know, like a lot of the content we talk about on the podcast here is about trauma and, you know, I've had trauma therapists and all sorts of things. And I was going to ask you about the incident on the, on the street in New York. How did that, you, so you had two things. You had the you had the voice. That's one thing, but you had the actual incident happen. How how did that affect you? Like some people would have some PTSD about stuff like that, or did the did the appearance of that voice in that incident lessen that that trauma, or did you know? Did you get help? afterwards about working through it or it just wasn't a big deal because of the voice no it was a big deal but you're exactly yeah. right the voice helped me realize that i was safe one way or another i was i was safe um there was ptsd in that i refused to get in an elevator for six months after mm-hmm. um i was concerned about walking on the streets of new york Mm-hmm. Um, we were told to always walk on the inside, never on the outside. I mean, I take that back. We were taught to walk on the outside of the, the, the walkways and sidewalks in, in New York are very wide. Um, so we were taught to walk on the outside, do not get caught up again on the inside. So this, these were the police, uh, giving us some guidance, but ultimately it really was simply a story in my mind. It was not that traumatic of an event. The thing that was traumatic, and I, it was not traumatic, it was dramatic, 
was the voice. And the fact that it was so different from the first voice and that it was so determined, so pointed at making sure that I did exactly what it said and used those particular words. That's the feeling I got. You, you do not veer from the guidance. You stick with the guidance in this situation. So um, it always has, even I look back on today, I think about those incidences. It leaves you with a great deal of confidence just to know that there's another side. Last week or two weeks ago when I did this Zoom call with this group, a woman said to me, I'm so jealous that you've had these experiences. I said, honestly, I've had experiences that I was supposed to have died from. So I, it really is not that exciting. <laughs> it is, it, they were difficult. But it's not about me. It's about it's about the understanding that the entities, the beings, the energy of source is right there next to you all the time. And as you just said, you have to pay attention to the information that we get. But we don't know to do that. I didn't know to do that. I didn't know to pay attention. I should have paid attention and looked like this. If I had just looked over my left shoulder... I would have seen those two guys behind us easily. They were walking in an area they shouldn't have been in. They, it was just not, it just didn't make sense for them to be there. I, I would have known better, but I didn't pay attention. Didn't pay attention. I bet after the, that and the voices, you're now paying attention. Oh, you betcha. <laughs> I pay attention to a bird and a squirrel and I, I never know where the information is going to come from. So yes, I do pay attention a lot. Yeah. And, and, and think, I mean, it's, everything's so connected, but you think about when you are, think about say anxiety and depression, you're in your head about things, you know, like Lao Tzu said in 800 BC, if you're, if you're depressed, you're living in the past. If you're anxious, you're living in the future. And if you're peaceful, you are living in the present. Mm -hmm. So not only do you get the benefit, if you are present and aware of things, the squirrels, the birds, the trees, the flowers, whatever, if you are aware of those things, you're not missing the signs, but you are also avoiding anxiety and depression. You are, you know, so there's, there's like almost two benefits to it. One is you are not going mentally somewhere you shouldn't go. And on the other hand, you are picking up the signs from the universe. So I think just, just that, um, just that being present does a lot of things. And you said something before that, that it's almost like your spiritual path led you to the horses. And for me, it's been the other way around. You know, the horses led me to the spiritual path, and I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way. It's just interesting you can come at the same thing from two different directions. Right, right. Well, I, the, the, the most important thing to me is to use these events to help others. Belief is a very hard thing to come by. And because we have been so trained to believe in a church and there being an intermediary 
There's not, you know, God doesn't need a, a telephone line to answer questions. Um, so I'm, I'm now in this stage in my life, I really, really am so anxious to help others understand that they are never alone. Now, they do not have to go through what I went through at all. Um, if they just are out in nature and with nature, that is the primary connection, whether it's the trees or the animals or, in my case, it's the horses and the dogs. And, you know, I have a direct connection. Those animals have no ego. They don't have a, a precursory time to, to get me to do a certain thing. You know, it's the, the concept of connection is just mind-boggling to me, that we can have a connection to another species and that species is far developed from, for, from us. I mean, I think it's the most amazing thing in the world <laughs> that, we, that we can have that. Um, but it's, it's so important. And you talk about anxiety. And that has been my, and it's so interesting. And that has been my challenge the last couple of years with COVID. My, we moved here and my, we weren't here five days and my husband got COVID and pneumonia and was rushed to the hospital and almost died. And I'm sitting here with, you know, 300 boxes to unload and in a city that I've never been in before in my life. And thank God for my adult children who came and helped me do, do everything. But the anxiety that was attached to that, the what ifs of the future were absolutely, they, they were terrible. I, I didn't know how to handle them. I just didn't know how to. And now I realize that that's part of my journey. My journey is not to live in the future because I have no idea what that's going to be. I would have never thought that I'd be speaking to Warwick today. Six weeks ago, I didn't know your name. So I am learning my one of one of the many things I need to learn is about not living in the future. Because the future does not... If I do that, I keep it from happening in some ways. I keep the energy and the vibration and the frequency from happening if I am constantly living in the future. I need to be in the present. I need to love the present. Because since we've had COVID, we don't know what the future is going to be like ever anymore. Um... And I think that's a very valuable lesson for all of us. Is, that is to be in the present moment. Love those around you. Love your animals. Love your, your family. Love those around you. Help your friends. Be there for other people. Um, I watch the horses out in the field. They're grooming each other and they're moving around. Oh, you want hay now? Uh, well, let me think about it. Oh, okay, you can have some hay now. Um, you know, there, there's a constant interaction of of being there together. I have mares and geldings together. And this group of five is extraordinary. I call them the fabulous five. Um, they help other people. They're constantly working with veterans. They're doing everything they can to, to be who they are. I, I just think you'll have to forgive me, but this is a new part of my life that I'm just absolutely so passionate about. They're just extraordinary. You know, we're going to get to how you got to that point, but so so far you've been struck by lightning. You've had the gun stuck in your face, but it sounds like you have some other NDEs. 
apart from that? I've had two other, what I call NDEs. So it's, it's going to the door of passing and not passing, being stopped, being kept from passing. So in 2016, I had just published this second book called Expect the Extraordinary and uh, was doing all kinds of radio interviews and podcasts with folks. And I'm on a radio interview with this gal in New York and everything's going super well. And I have had a big bay window in my office and I'm looking out at the pasture where the horses are and coming across the pasture is this gigantic white light. Well, I'm in the middle of a radio interview. What, excuse me, what in the hell is that? It's coming across the pasture and it hits my forehead. And I am down. Now I have to get out of this radio interview with some kind of kindness to this poor woman. So I tell her, I think I have the flu. I have to get off. She hopes that I'll come back. I have just had a brain aneurysm. And I am on the floor. And I have my phone next to me. Somehow I knew to grab it. And I dial my husband. And he gets folks over there to help me. And the ambulance comes and they take me to the hospital and they said, oh my God, she's still alive. They never come in alive with a brain aneurysm. That's what they told my poor husband. Who, you know, he had a medical background. So he knew what was going on. So that probably has been the most traumatic time because I was, I was one of 15 people in the last 25 years that survived that particular type of aneurysm. So that was a huge message. I was in ICU for 11 days. They couldn't find the bleed in the brain. This guy was, ex- this surgeon was extraordinary, just extraordinary. He said, I'm going to take a chance because I think I know where it is. He found it. He fixed it. But in the meantime, I must have been at the end of my rope because I just said, I can't do this anymore. John said, don't you effing leave me, girl. Don't you even think about it. Oh, I'm sorry I'm swearing, um, but it makes a point. When they finally took me in for the third operation to find it, I am lifted on the table, and around me are 12 small angelic presences. They look like children. They're glowing in white, and there were 12 of them around the, the bed. Standing next to me was a huge being. To me, it looked like a human being. I mean, it was definitely a human being. Um, it looked a lot like folks we know, like not folks, but entities we know. And the voice said, we have you. We love you. All is, all is fine. Not okay, I would have thought okay, but all is fine. And with that, I go in for the third, and it's done and over. But that made the greatest impact, because it was visual, and it was auditory. Because right before I went in, I literally was ready to pass. I'd had enough. I just had enough, you know? 11 days, no food, no water for three. 11 days, it was was tough, it was tough. But I felt 
first of all, I knew the voice. It had come before. Not one of the two that I've been talking about previously. Mm -hmm. But that voice was so loving and so caring and so protective, I knew that everything was going to be fine. I had no doubt. I'm going to get through this third surgery. Everything's going to be fine. And it has been. It's been fine. These, so, sorry, I was going to ask, these 12 small entities plus the big one, was, were you conscious at the time? So were they in the three-dimensional room that you were in or is this with your eyes closed and you can see them? Or were they, or were they actually in the, like, was the other three-dimensional parts of the room there and they're in that or was this with your eyes closed? Oh, good question. The only reason I ask is because I've had an experience to where, I think I've talked about in the podcast before, but I had an experience where my wife and her dog uh, actually became glowing and see-through uh, at one point in time, but everything else in the room was 3D. Or they're actually, they were sitting on the couch, and, and I was sitting on the coffee table talking to them, and the couch and my wife and the dog became glowing and see-through. The rest of the room stayed three-dimensional. So I just didn't know if, if, if you, because I've experienced that, so I didn't know if that was the experience you had or your eyes were closed and you could see them elsewhere. I'm going to say that my eyes were closed because okay. they were, they were, I was starting to be, I wasn't medicated yet. They had given me something a little bit to relax so that they could medicate me before they went into. Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, but I could see the, I could see the end of my feet I could not see the room, but I could see the 12 around the table and the, the big entity on my right. And that's where I usually know that they're there. I feel them. It's more of, it's a feeling that I have. Now it's auditory and visual, but no, it, it was not what you experienced because you experienced it in the present tense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... You were, you were done, but they said, no, you, you know, you're going to be fine. So what, how did your life change after the, that experience? Like, did, did that send you off on another, another complete tangent? Well, let me go back a little bit. From corporate America, I knew that I had to get out of corporate America. And a friend who was a doctor and a very holistic doctor came to me and said, Sue, this woman is starting one of the most extraordinary teaching programs I've ever seen. And it's called the Still Point Institute. And it's about how the body gives you messages about how you're living your life from an emotional standpoint. And I was in their first class. It was the most amazing concept I had ever heard of. And every time I get an illness or I stub a toe or whatever it might be, I go back to that information and say, okay, why? Why did this happen? What were you doing? So what happens is, is that I learn that what I think is what happens. Okay? So I learn that what I'm thinking will affect my health. And I take that, I leave corporate America, and I run with it. And that has been the most exciting thing I've ever done. One of the most exciting things, and that is to learn that the universe gives us messages through our physical body about how we are living our lives. And we have to really, again, we talked about paying attention. 
we talk about paying attention, about in the being in the present. It's when we allow something, when we allow that emotion to fester, that then it becomes more difficult. That was not the case with the aneurysm. I, I, I want to say that now. I had no headaches. I had no pre-knowledge of that. It was a genetic predisposition that, uh, okay, I'm going to go out on a limb here. Can I go out on a limb a little bit? Hey, this is the Journey on Podcast. We, we, you know, we, we can go out on a lot of limbs. Okay. <laughs> so I was talking earlier about the information and the visuals that I have received from these NDEs, which is, means that you're going to the other side. Your soul is now in touch with you. You are now, your soul is teaching you. What happens is, is that we choose the lives that we're going to be living. We choose our parents. We choose the major events. In other words, our children. The children actually choose us as parents. But we choose the life that we're going to be living. And it is a gift, I've said before, it is a gift that we came here. Behind us, we stand in line in front of a large circular table. It's a, like a horseshoe. And there are all these entities in white. And so you're, my time is coming up and they say to you, Sue, I look at this list that you say you're going to do when you go into the earthly plane. I don't know that you're going to be able to do all this. This is really a big list. Oh, yeah, I can do it. Sure. Well, I had no idea what I was talking about. <laughs> I had no idea. And they say, okay, we're going to send you. But behind you, there are hundreds of thousands of souls that also want to go. But... They are saying that what you're doing is so important that they want you to go instead of them, which is what you're doing now, which is what you, Warwick Schiller, is doing. You are spreading such important information for people to, you cannot believe the number of people that have called me when they found out that I was going to be doing this podcast. Oh, he's phenomenal. He asked the best questions of any podcaster out there. So it's so important what you're doing. It's so important. Um, and I forgot where I was going to take this, but that, that last, in, there was one more small NDE after that. It doesn't really make a lot of difference. Um, but the one well, with the... Let's not skip over a small <laughs> NDE because... Most of us have not had one, so it, they are all important. What was the small one? The small one was in 2019, I had to have um, uh, some facial surgery done because I had some cancer on my nose. Not a big deal. Um, so, But it's a two-pronged process. They take the cancer out, they let it heal a little, then they go in and do the reconstruction. When I was in the reconstruction uh, portion uh, of the surgery, um and I don't know why this happened, except that I must be close to going... How can I explain this? Here's the way I can explain it. We have a job to do. 
My job is to light up my life. That's what everyone's job is. And that means I am in gratitude for being here. I have great gratitude and I'm going to maximize it. This particular small NDE, and I say it's small because it was not life-threatening by any stretch. I had, there is a, a wonderful spiritual entity called Santa Sophia. And she is there to help women particularly become all they can be. And as I'm lying in the recovery room, I feel myself floating away. And she is at the bottom of the table, at the end of the table. She has on everyone that was in the operating room and or in recovery had on a light blue uniform. She was in her color, which is a vibrant blue green. You can see it on you can see it in everything right now. On television and movies, it's a very popular color right now, which means her energy is present in helping the world. And she said, as she put her hands on my ankles, she said, Sue, it's not time to go yet. And then I, I, I pushed myself to get out of the anesthesia. And I looked at the nurse and I said, did we have a problem? What, is, did something go wrong? She said, no, everything was fine. I said, I need to speak to, to the anesthesiologist. Can he come down, please? It's really important. So he comes down. I talk to him. I say, something had to have happened. No, you were quiet as a mouse. Nothing happened. And I went, oh, okay. I guess this is another time to pay attention to so get now, on with. Yeah, now they're communicating you with you without the NDE. Right. But I do think when you're under anesthesia, um, that, you know, you're kind of your prefrontal cortex is turned off a bit and the veil is just a little bit, maybe a little bit thinner right there. Thinner. Where, yeah. Yes, yes. And you... I don't want to make that mistake without having taken the journey that I'm supposed to be on. Because sometimes, particularly with suicide, we short change our path. We stop it before we... And that's been one of the valuable lessons in COVID. And that is, can we, as, a, as, a, as humanity be all we can be and not allow this outside interference to shortchange who we are and our lives. That's, that's my take on, on COVID. Yeah. And, and I think COVID was a big wake up call as far as, you know, like say in the horse business and and I'm not really in the horse business anymore as in with horses as a very expensive commodity you know I used to be in the performance horse industry but what I had what I thought would happen during COVID you know because most people aren't working whatever that that the price of horses and I'm talking about you know in in my world but I think it was in every world 
the price of, ho- of, of horses that used to be expensive, you'd think, oh, well, they'd go down because people don't have as much money. But they actually went up and they went crazy. And it was almost like people who had money were realizing we could all be dead next year. So let's just, you can't take it with you. You know what I mean? So instead of everybody kind of tightening up on, th- and I'm, I'm not talking about everybody as in the whole world, but people who had money who'd been kind of maybe hanging on to it a little bit were no longer hanging on to it. Like they were throwing it around like it was going out of, out of fashion. So I do think that, that COVID kind of gave us all a bit of a wake-up call, um, but not only that way, in, in uh, many other ways. Uh, you know what I'm, I'm going to do right now, something I've never done on the podcast before, <laughs> is I'm going to try to record something off my phone. So um, there's a guy named Steve Harvey who is the, you know, he's the host of... Uh, what is one of those TV shows? One where they put the, you know, we've we've interviewed a hundred people and you put it up on the screen. And he, I saw a something he said the other day that I'm actually going to try to. I don't have the visual, but I'm going to try to play the audio for you here. Right now. The best lesson I learned was this guy sat me down and said, "There's only two ways to make money in this world. You can either provide a service or you can sell something. It ain't." So I had to hurry up and identify what was my skill set. Here's the way you identify your gift. And an old man taught this to me who had a lot of money. Your gift is the thing that you do the absolute best with the least amount of effort. That's your God-given gift. It's something that each one of you do better than you do anything else, and it comes to you naturally. The beautiful thing is everybody God created, he gave us all a gift. All of you are gifted. If you use the gift, it starts to change your life. You now have a pathway to success. Don't go into banking. If you really, your gift is frying chicken. Don't go into banking. See, a lot of people got jobs because it's paying bills, but it ain't your gift. So when your alarm clock goes off in the morning, you unhappy. You keep hitting the snooze button. You know why? Because you're not living in your gift. Find the gift. The moment you identify the gift, your life will change. You can come to these conferences all you want. If you don't apply these philosophies to your God-given gift, you're wasting your time. You might as well get about your little seat and go on and go home. Because it ain't finna happen for you. It never does. The best lesson I learned identify your gift and while you've been talking it's kind of like the universe has been prodding you to identify your gift and your gift was not corporate america obviously i hope i hope you go i hope you could hear that but i just i I just love that that like everybody has been given a gift gift yeah everybody's got a gift and you've just got to figure out what your gift is so have you ever heard of a a Japanese term called ikigai. Yes. And it's a Japanese concept that combines the term iki meaning alive or life and gai meaning benefit or worth. And it's yes. a, like a Venn diagram where all your things coincide. So what you love, what you're, what you're good at, what you can get paid for and what the world needs, all of those things. And so if you think about they all intersect, but sometimes some of them intersect. So if you take what you love and what you're good at, that's your passion. 
If you take what you're good at and what you can get paid for, that's your profession. If you take what you can get paid for and what the world needs, that's your vocation. And if you can take what you love and what the world needs, that's your mission. But then there's a there's almost a shadow side. So if you have, um, you know, what you can get paid for, what you're good at and what you love, you can have satisfaction, but you can have a feeling of uselessness. And if you combine other three, you can be comfortable to a feeling of emptiness. But there's a, there's a sweet spot in the middle that is where all those things combine. And I think, you know, you and I are so fortunate because the universe has kind of guided us to that sweet spot, to where you're right there in the middle and, and yeah, what you are, you know, what you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for and what the world needs all intersects in this, you know, this, the universe lines it all up. And, uh, you know, I think it's a magic spot to, to exist in. Well, I use Ikigai in, uh, did in some of the, workshops that I did around the country um, because I wanted others to know that there was other options out there other than what we just looked at every single day as far as personality traits and, and direction and paths and that kind of thing. Um, but I, I think that what the world needs is one of the most important things that each one of us can think about. What do I have that the world needs? That coming from your voice or coming from my voice or anyone in your audience, coming from their voice is very different from anyone else's voice. So even though, um, I keep saying Mary Jane Smith, but even though Mary Jane Smith is saying the same thing I'm saying, it comes differently from me. Uh, even though another trainer is saying something, it comes differently from from you. Um, and that's where the self-love, I think, comes in. And that is being able to stand up and take some chances. Um, because self-love is about self-acceptance. And to be able to take whatever we have going forward, that whatever my self-acceptance is, uh, self-empowerment, I want to be all I can be. And I think that we need to to do it, you know, before we're 65, let's say. Um, because, you know, I read once about um, some elderly folks that were interviewed by a nurse. Um, and she was saying, what would you have changed in your life? Well, the first thing that every one of them said, they were in their 80s into their 90s, and they said, I would have taken more chances. And there was one little lady that I keep remembering, and she said, Mm. I would have eaten less beans and more ice cream. So I think doing things that make us happy, that make us fulfilled, and I agree with everything Steve Harvey says about, you know, basically he's saying don't live in mediocrity. Live in, live in the passion that you feel inside. Well, how do you find that? That's what I've been Asked, I don't know how many times. How do you find it? Well, it's the magazines you read. It's the television shows you watch. It's the movies you go to. It's, the, it's anything that you want to pick up that is, and you pick it up again, and you do it again and again and again and again. And it becomes, it opens up something inside of you. It, 
it opens up an opportunity. It opens up a feeling inside of you. And you want to go more. You want to learn more. You want to do more. Um, I think that's how we we find our passion. Or it can hit us right over the head. And then we then it's a different kind of story. You know, while you're talking right there, I just was thinking about once you understand, and it, you know, sometimes it take, might take an NDE to understand it, but once you understand that there is something after this, and it's once you've been there, it's more, it's almost more real than this. Then you know you realize that you 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 get you get more than one turn at the game. This is this happens to be your current turn at the game, but it's almost like a video game that like if you the monster eats you in the video game, oh you just start the game again. And I was thinking about people that are and this is not a judgment one way or the other, but people who are really into being healthy. Like I want I want to be healthy. I want to you know because you said. I would have eaten less beans and more ice cream. Like if people are into, like, I want to be really healthy. Is there an underlying thing under that to where I want to live longer because this is the only shot I got? You know, is is that behind, like everybody's supposed to be eating healthy these days and we're supposed to be, you know, doing all sorts of things. And then you come along and say, hey, I would have eaten more ice cream sort of thing. I'm just wondering Yeah, until you really come to grips with this is not, this is not the last hurrah. This is just this incarnation. Does does that help us change that? And I'm not. But then on the other hand of that, you've got the seven deadly sins. One of them being gluttony. You know what I mean? And right. and it's that is it, there's a there's got to be a balance in there somewhere. And I don't know what the answer is, but these are things to kind of to think about so once you have that understanding that we are not alone and there is something after this on one hand you could make you could you could get a bit out of control with your life and like i'm just gonna eat nothing but ice cream (laughs) you you know what i mean like there's a there's a lot lot to that there's a lot but but i i i think that if you follow your passion, if you find your passion and you follow that path, you, the, the, the thing that's going to carry you forward is your physical body. Right. So if you don't have that in the best condition that it can be in, then here we go. Then how do we go forward? That, that's, you just reminded me of stuff I've read right then where I've been reading spiritual things about, you know, you know, this is not your only time around, but, uh, but about the, the, you've got your soul's journey on this particular incarnation. And so you've got to look after the body that's carrying your soul around to be able to do the work you're here to do. Yes. Sorry. You, I just remember I have read that somewhere. Yes. So that, so don't eat nothing but ice cream. Right. Well, this is why the work that I did at the Still Point Institute was so important, um, because I had never really understood what that meant. What does that mean that if I think about cancer, that's about anger uh, going inward? And if I think about my lungs uh, or my heart, the heart is what is the greatest passion that you 
you know, if you have a heart attack, why haven't you expanded that heart? Why haven't you done the passionate work? Why haven't you touched others? Why haven't you loved the things that you love? Um, there, it's just, it's just was the most extraordinary time that I learned this information. And now it's certainly more prevalent than when I went to the Institute. But um, Bruce Lipton, I don't know if you know it, mm-hmm. have yep. heard of him. Okay. Biology, biology of belief, yeah. Biology of belief. He has very much those same kinds of information, not as detailed perhaps as the Stillpoint Institute, but um, the whole concept that the physical body to me is the intro into the spiritual because this is where we sit, this is where we go out in nature, this is where we feel the things we do, this is where we see the things we do. So the physical body needs to be taken care of for those reasons. And I remember a doctor saying to me not too long ago, he said, I eat for health, I don't eat for pleasure. I went, ooh, I have to think about that a minute. Mm. Oh, that carrot cake was awfully good last night, you know? Right, yeah. So, um, so I think that's so important, uh, you know. And, and as this elderly woman said about the beans and the ice cream, I also think that we need to make sure that we're loving what we do. So if I'm having a bowl of ice cream, I better, I better love it. And it comes back to being present again, not just shoveling it in there. Exactly. Um, exactly. You know, I had a conversation with a group of people recently, but there was a lady in the conversation telling me about she had just got off the phone with a healer from somewhere in South America. So her husband had had uh, throat cancer and had they've got over that and he'd gone in remission, but then he had a spot on his, I'm thinking it's his lungs. I think it's his lungs. And this healer was saying that it's very common because the lungs is where um, grief goes to. And it's the and she said it's quite common for people to have a secondary, like get over one type of cancer and then have lung cancer because the grief from the, the almost dying from the first thing of cancer lodges in the lungs. And so it's, it's, it was almost like cancer can be psychosomatic. You know, you're talking right. about the, the things you think about. And right. it was, and all of a sudden I looked around the table and we, all of a sudden we realized like, what if cancer is psychosomatic? You know what I mean? And, and like, we all looked at each other like, whoa, the world wow. just kind of tilted a little right. bit, you know, and you were talking right. about, you're talking about the thoughts you think, you know, cancer can come from the thoughts you think. And uh, you did say, what did you say? Cancer is, uh, anger toward Yes. Turns inward, yes. Yes. So let me give you an example of that. This is a little example. It's a small example. But for several years, I knew that I had to get out of um, the job I was in. I w- Corporate America had done all it could do for me. So it was time for me to get out of that job. And I, I wouldn't do it. So I hung on there for five more years. Five years of being miserable every day. All right? 
Now, you know better than that. You don't know what to do exactly, but if I'd had trust in the universe that they would have shown me what to do, I would have been fine, but I didn't have that trust. So sure enough, what happened with me is, and it's in this book, it was another example of the uh, universe popping in. They sent me to a dermatologist in New York that turned out to be the president of the American Dermatological Association. Now, not that that's a big deal, but the guy had had a lot of dermatology work. <laughs> and I ended up having a huge area on my shoulder removed because I had a mole that was there. Cancer turned inward in the skin is about us getting rid of toxicity in our thoughts. Mm. And my toxicity was every single day. I'd get up in the morning, I'd put my running clothes on, I'd go run, and I had the same thought every single day. How do I get out of this job? Well, bingo, you've got cancer. So I, that was in, the surgery was in October. I gave notice in December, picked up my bonus check, (laughs) and left the corporate world, not knowing where I'd go next. But wouldn't you know, that two months down the road, this doctor came to me and said, I think you want to attend this class, this Still Point Institute class. And I think it's right up your alley. Well, my whole life changed after that. So if I had taken the chances to leave, I might not have gotten cancer. I don't know. Mm. But I don't think so. Because it was a seven or a five-year progression of the same thoughts every single day. So that was my, that was my situation with cancer. Mm. One of them, but, but that, that is the most jarring, particularly after all of the studying now that I've done, that I can see the relevance in that. Yeah. That's one of those things to where, once you see that, you can't unsee it. Like you become aware that you're, whether it's whether it happens that way or how it happens, but you become aware that your thoughts create your reality. And then, then you, you know, we're talking about awareness before and presence. Then you've got to be aware and present with your thoughts and, and be aware of what they're doing. And without fear. Yeah, well... Yes, definitely. Fear, you know, fear is a fear is a hard one, but uh, the, the 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 more I learn about fear, the more I understand that love conquers fear, and I don't mean you know like a worldly sense, but within you within yourself, you know, I've been doing some therapy that that works, that does like parts work, you know, and you have those exiled parts of you that you don't like or whatever. And the, and the, the message, you know, the, the, the teaching I keep getting is that you've got to embrace those parts, not, not make them go away. And I've, I've done some um, plant medicine journeys and they've always been dark and scary or whatever. And I had someone recently tell me, if you ever do one again, when the dark, scary things show up, instead of looking at it like, ooh, it's dark and scary, kind of go, hey, guys, 
how's it going? You want to come over here and have a hug? And not long after that, I was talking to somebody who had done a uh, ayahuasca ceremony and she said that during her ayahuasca journey, Mother Ayahuasca turned into this big, dark, demon, scary thing. And she said, I looked at it and I laughed and said, who paid you 10 bucks to dress up like a dragon? And poof, it just disappeared. And then it was this little angelic figure. It's like, okay, if you want to look at me that way, I can be this way. But if you want to be scared, I will scare the shit out of you. And it's like, yes, it's that, it's that love and acceptance and embracing like our shadow side rather than exiling. And it's kind of all adding up for me. I'm getting all these like things that are happening all adding up to like that's the, you know, the Beatles were right. All you need is love. Right, right. Exactly. They were 100% right about that. Yes. yes. So I want to ask you about, you've said you've written two or three books. Um, let's talk about what was the first one you wrote? The first one I wrote, strangely enough, long before I'd ever been on a horse, was called Bootstraps. And um, it was about nine women, not it was, it is about nine women, uh, pulling themselves up from very difficult situations um, by their bootstraps. And uh, I have Bruce Lipton in there and Christian Northrup and, and some other um, pretty exciting folks who are, who are part of that book. And um, then I wrote Expect the Extraordinary, which um, was really about my journey and other folks' journey who had had NDEs and what that meant to them. And then there's some other personal anecdotes at the back. But um, it was, and, and it was the first time that I had included a horse in my work. So my mare, Skye, is, is, part of the book and she's part of the uh the title yeah well the full title is expect the extraordinary angelic messages spiritual encounters and the soul of sky and so sky's your horse yes sky's the horse the mare and is you say you have a third book or you're writing a third book i'm i'm writing a third book i started it during covid um i have a site that's called blogging with sue and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take all these blogs because I've been doing them for two years and put them right. in a book and so on and so on. And then everything changed. So it's changing, and I'm not quite sure exactly the path it's going to take, but it's going to have a lot to do with what we're talking about today, and that is finding, our, finding out who we are. And in my situation, I've been able to do that with the help of these horses. Hmm. Because I've had to face more, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to take care of five horses? Where are they going to go? I don't have a farm anymore and all this kind of... Just doing it. Just believing in the universe, that the universe will be there. These horses came back to us after we had retired to a small home from a farm where they lived for years. For them to come back to us the way they did was really had nothing to do with me and had everything to do with the universe. Hmm. So, And tell me about the book writing process for you, because you're not, you know, you're not a, a writer, like, you know, like it's not like you're a writer and you always write books. You do these other things, but you had the idea to write a book and I have published a book and it's, <laughs> it's like pulling teeth. How yeah. was the, how was the, um, the writing process for you? 
Well, I would do it differently for this third book, and I'll tell you how I would do it a little differently. I always, for whatever reason, the title comes first. Most people write, and then the title comes. A yeah. lot of, you know. But I, I, the title comes first, and then I fill in after that. And I, I will make, I do something called automatic writing, which is just writing, 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 writing. And then I divide things into chapters, um, direction, whatever I happen to be working on at the time. And um, then I get someone to help me. And the editors that have helped me have been terrific. I'll get a call. I'll get a text, an email. Hey, Sue, I haven't heard from you in five days. What do you have for me? So my strong advice is to get is to have someone as your as a partner to yeah. get you through the process. And I use, um, you know, a great company that that um, I've got to think of their name here for a minute. Uh, Ingram Spark. Okay. And yeah. they now. Yeah. I love working with them. They have the programs. They have the platforms. They have everything you need. So it's easier today than it was before. Have you ever read a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No, no. It's about the creative process, and you know Stephen Pressfield was a, a screenwriter in Hollywood, I think. But it's about the creative process, and it's, it's a fascinating book if you are a writer. Like I was in the middle of writing my book, and it was a podcast guest that suggested this book or mentioned this book, and I, I'd been, I'd got stuck. I was kind of stuck. I had most of my book written, but I was kind of stuck, and I was not motivated to finish because I had a lot of probably negative self-talk about the fact I was stuck. And I think the negative self-talk about the fact I was stuck was making me more stuck. And in this, stuck. in this book, they talk about the resistance. Yes. The resistance. It's a thing. And everybody has it. And once what allowed me to finish my book was reading about, oh, what I'm going through is normal so I can stop beating myself up about it and just relax. And once I relaxed, then I could... I could finish the, finish the book. Yeah, it was, it's fascinating. Right. And it's kind of like you sharing your story on the podcast and all the guests sharing their story on the podcast. Somebody is thinking the same thing but is stuck because they think they're on their own. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Right. And yes. So that's what I love, people like you sharing their stories, because I think before we even came on today, I said to you, so the podcast, it either inspires, you know, the stories people tell in a podcast either inspires people or validates people, you know, like inspires them to be all they can be, or they get some validation that they're not alone in either the way they view the world, the way they see the world, or things that are, there. you know, the, the, the self-talk that you have. Um, on the subject of books, you know, so my listeners know that I always send out a series of questions for my guests to choose from, and I somehow dropped the ball and didn't get them to Sue. So I told her earlier on that we're going to, I'm just going to throw some stuff at you. One of the questions is, do you have a favorite book, not that you recommend to people? So not your favorite book to read, but a book that you think everybody else should read. Like, do you have one of those? Like, is there a book you go, yes, you should read this book? Oh, boy. Um well, I'll say what I'm reading right now. I'm reading Sacred Spaces. By um, Susan Fay? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I love the process, of, again, that we're not alone and that 
the sacred spaces is really about understanding what the dynamics between you and horses is. That's not what's important to me. What's important to me is that people understand that they do not have to be alone and that they can be with these animals who will help them be all they can be. You have a thousand pounds standing next to you. You're present and aware. Mm. Present and aware. And that means that after you finish that hour with that horse, whatever it may be, grooming the horse, certainly not riding, that you're going to go home and you're going to be present and aware. So I like her work very much. And I'd have to think about that because I haven't read much lately. Um, and if you don't have one offhand, I, I, you know, usually people choose these questions so they have an answer ahead of time. I don't want to put you on the right. spot here, but I just thought if you had a book like you oh, yes, you know, like a lot of people would say things like, Man Search for Meeting, right off the bat, or The Alchemist, or, you know, anything like that. But if you don't have one offhand, that's no big deal. Uh, one of the other questions is, and I'm pretty sure you may have covered this, but let's be more succinct with it. One of the other questions is, if you had a message, if you could spread a message the world would listen to, what would that message be? Uh, be all you can be. Don't be afraid of taking chances. Live fearlessly. Because it's, that's, my, that's my path. And it's a tough path to be on about living fearlessly. That means I'm not concerned about the future. It's a tough path as a human being. It's a tough path. But to live fearlessly, eat more ice cream, less beans. <laughs> more ice cream less beans that's a good one you know just i was just glanced down at your bio here that i'd written down before so it says you're a certified transformational coach you're a certified clinical hypnotherapist and a certified intuitive healer can you tell me a little more about the intuitive healer part of what you do that is usually about feeling the vibration or the energy coming from someone that you're working with. Mm -hmm. It's not about you guessing whether or not they have an illness. That's not why they're coming to you. What they're coming to you for is to have someone understand who they are and what they're going to, what they're going through. An intuitive healer is someone who, uh, this is from the Still Point Institute, is someone who understands after you fill out a form exactly where your issues are. So you fill out an intake form. It's about your health. It's about your emotional state, etc. And that is where you can help people understand the reason why. Like, why do I have cancer? Why have, uh, why have I had a heart attack? Why do I have a stent? Why, 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 why? The whys are, are the key. The whys are the key. You know? Why did I do this? Because then you know you can change it. Then you can change the, th it's, it's like Bruce Lipton says, then you change the thought process Then you change what's going on inside of your brain. Oh my goodness. Here we go again. Oh, you're good. I've still got you. Okay. I don't as long as you've got me, yeah, that's I'll all you. that's important. Yep. So you mentioned Bruce Lipton again, and you said he was in your book. Uh, do you quote him in your book or did he write something for your book? I spoke with him on the phone, and um, I quoted him in the book, the first book, Bootstraps. Mm. So he was very, very and, and in those days, he was not that well-known. So it was, he oh, was, really? couldn't, wait, couldn't wait to chat. Yeah. He was great. Yeah, he seems like he comes across as just having this really 
open sort of personality, you know. Seems like a someone you'd want to sit down and have a beer with sort of thing, you know. Exactly. Exactly. And he's done so much. I I look at his calendar now and where he's going and the countries he's going to and, and everything. It's it's really amazing. But it's it's that whole concept of understanding. It's like the Still Point Institute about understanding that what you think is what you get. Mm. You talked about your reality. It's what you and and it's it's so interesting to understand that you what what I'm thinking is coming my way. So is there enough money? Is there enough health? Is there enough anything? And if you say yes, I'm grateful for the money I have, the home I live in, the life I lead. I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful, which is all positive. Is the glass half empty or half full? And I think that that's what we all strive for as human beings is to under is to go is to find that joy to be of happiness. Right. I think I think that's the most important thing. You said that you earlier on you said that you you know you got the chance to travel all over the world and you said you went to the Olympics. Um, have you been to many third world countries? And if so, have you had the same experience that I've had in them to where the people that have the least amount of stuff seem to be the happiest people you ever met? Yes. I lived in, in Thailand, up country, not a third world country, but it's, we, we don't have much. We watch our same clothes every day kind of thing. Um, happy as can be. Happy as can be. They don't need much. You know, this whole concept of simplicity, 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 I think is so important for us, particularly as Americans. Right. We live our lives based on stuff. I know I certainly have. So what, let's not skip over the fact you lived in Thailand. What were you doing in upcountry Thailand? Uh, My husband was in the military at the time, and he was based in upcountry, so I would go up and visit him up there. My daughter was actually born in Bangkok. Um, so I've had a chance to have spent some, some great time in some great places. What countries have you lived in? I lived in Thailand. Uh, as a kid, I or, lived or Even in, as a kid, like, so the, the whole gamut, where have you lived? I lived in Turkey as a child, uh, which was considered almost third world. We had to have protective custody when we went to school, um, we went to an American college there, even as a high school student. Um, if there was any problem, it was always blamed on the Americans, uh, at the time. So it was a very, very tough assignment for my father and they couldn't wait. My parents couldn't wait to get out of there. They felt it was very, very tough. Um, it was tough for me also because you couldn't, there are certain things you couldn't do. Protocol was of the utmost importance. You had to behave in a certain way, do things in a certain, certain way. It was, it was a tough place to live in at the time. It's even and more, even tougher today. What was your father doing there in the military? He was training the, the troops, uh, Turkish troops. Um, and he had a whole staff that, that did that training and they did it in the, in, uh, outside of Ankara, Turkey, which was mm. the capital at the time. We lived in, in Istanbul, and then he, would, he traveled every week. And how old were you at the time? Uh, I was 16 at the time. Were you old enough to appreciate Istanbul? Like, I'd love to go to Istanbul and see, the, like, the buildings and things like that. Were you old enough? Santa or, Sophia. Was it, 
Yeah, was it? No, or no, was no. it just a bit of, of over your head at the time? No, no. I I truly did appreciate it. Yeah. We lived in a small town called Kachuk Bebek, which is small baby, um, in in um, in Turkish. We lived south of of this main city, right on the Bosphorus of Ocean waterway, really. Um, and it was lovely. It was lovely to play tennis. Uh, took a, a certain kind of bus to school. It was a sanctioned bus. It wasn't just a regular bus. I made many friends, many Turkish friends. They lived a very different life than I did. I mean, you know, they couldn't go to school without a, without an escort that stayed with them in the classrooms. If they were, in fact, a child of someone who ran the government or maybe they were a um, a close friend of someone who ran the government, they had to have total protection all the time. So it was interesting, very interesting, different from our lives, totally. And my question was going to be about that. So I was talking to someone last year who had been a English te- an English teacher in Mexico, and she was talking about it was in a private school, and there it was, you know, the children of quite wealthy people, and some of them would actually be helicoptered to school and they'd land on the school grounds. But there was a lot of security because uh, – of the the threat of kidnapping of these children for for ransom is that why all the security was there was it a threat of was it a threat of uh kidnapping for either ransom or like political advantage or was it just a dangerous place it was it was more protection for the american name than it was anything else okay they were concerned about it being politicized the Americans over there helping and doing, they were very concerned about us being politicized. And um, there were still bombings that were going on between the Turks and the Greeks at the time. And I'm, we're sitting out on our balcony. We lived in an apartment and we're looking out at the Bosphorus o- Ocean. And there is a great big, uh, beautiful yacht out there on fire. And it he the guy who owned the yacht was a prince from some other uh, country, Middle Eastern country. He had come in, anchored his yacht. Someone had come in and, and put a bomb underneath the, the hull of the boat and had blown him up. And that was a political issue. We couldn't go to school for a week. We had to stay in the apartment. I mean, they were concerned about the American involvement politicizing what was going on internally there. So... It was it was tough for my father because he couldn't do or say certain things when he was teaching. Right. Um, okay. So you lived in Turkey. You've also lived in Thailand. Have you ever lived anywhere else, or have you just travelled extensively? Um, not lived in another foreign country. Travelled extensively. So I've been to Europe, different places in Europe, and and had a chance to, as I said, go to the Olympics and do those kind of things. Where? Uh, which Olympics did you go to? Went to France. Went to Norway. Um, there was a third and I can't remember exactly where that was, but I went to winter Olympics. My husband, who I was married to for almost 30 years passed, um, many years ago before I met John. And, um, he was a, one of the presidents at CBS television. So for that reason, we went where, where CBS was televising. So Went to a lot of wonderful things. Had a chance to see a lot of wonderful things. What was your favorite Olympic memory? So did you get to actually get tickets to, to see a lot of things live or were you just yes. involved in the production side of it? 
no, 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 this was live. We've, there were clients there. So he was involved with sales. So when you're involved with sales, you want to make sure that all of those folks who are buying from you are well taken care of. Right. So we had, we had lots of clients that had come over and our job was to take, to go to the events with them, take care of them, make sure they were having a good time and so on and so forth. And we were having a ball. I, I loved Norway. I loved Norway, the cleanliness of it. Um, we went to the Northern Lights. We saw all kinds of extraordinary things there. And this is in the middle of the winter. Mm. So I'm, I'm telling you, it is cold, cold there and in France. But I loved Norway. It was a very different, totally different from Europe. So the rest of Europe, so to speak. So I really love Norway. So these were both Winter Olympics, not Summer Olympics? Not Summer Olympics. CBS was not televised in summer. They were only televising the winter at the time. Ah, okay. You have to go where you pay your money. Yep, yep, yep. Um, this is something I often ask people who travel a lot. Do you have a favorite country to visit or a favorite country you've been to? Greece was one of my very favorite countries. I loved Greece because they, um, everything seems to be so free. People are so free there. And um, they're not worried about politics in Greece very much. At the time I went, they, they were not involved in politics. And um, I think Italy. I loved Florence, loved Rome. Italy is just like fabulous. It was just wonderful. So those two countries I've really, really enjoyed. I loved France, but it was very stiff. I thought France was very stiff. <laughs> I thought we're stiff. They're stiffer than we are. Um, <laughs> But I loved uh, the beautiful country, beautiful places to go, wonderful food in France. But Italy was just warm and loving. And France, I went to the Afuzi and, and saw all the, the David and saw artwork that I never would have seen in my lifetime if I had not had a chance to go there. So that was really very interesting. I love that. It's really great. Um, where else have I been that was interesting? Uh, Greece and... Um, Went from Thailand, we went uh, to Singapore, then traveled to uh, the Great Wall of China, which I thought was so fascinating. I mean, centuries and centuries old, uh, could not go into China, of course. Um, so we, I've just had, a, if I look back on it, you know, my son says, why aren't you traveling more? You're home with horses all the time. Really? <laughs> and I said, Chris, I've already been there. You know, he travels for the work that he's in and loves to travel. He's a real travel bug, but... Uh, I've already been there, been there, done that. So I'm looking for peace and joy right now and the ability to, to find, to do more with my passion versus traveling. That's what I'm looking for. You know, I met a man in Amsterdam years ago who told me he'd been to 80 or 90 countries, something like that. And I had read something not long before that, that said that there is a there is a um, there's a window you get to after about 27 countries to where you get a diminished rate of return on travel. After about 27 countries or 25 countries, after that, you get a diminished rate of return to where by the time you've been to 25 or 27 countries, you've seen a lot of stuff and you're not as impressed anymore. I think that's what it was getting at. So I said to yeah. this guy, I said, um, have you found, I told him that fact, and I said, have you found that you get a diminished rate of return? And he goes, no. Not at all. And I thought, mm, well, that's interesting. Maybe the fact was wrong. We have a conversation. And then I said, so tell me, what's, what's 
it's kind of like what I asked you, what's your most favorite country you've ever visited? And he looked at me and he thought about it and he said, I'd have to say whichever one I'm in at the moment. And I'm like, that's why he doesn't have a diminished rate of return because he's present. He's enjoying what's in front of him and he's not comparing it to something else. And it's like, that's the secret to life right there, isn't it? It is. It is. And so it's, again, that whole concept of the glass half full or half empty, Mm. that if you're present, it's always half full because you're always looking for the positive side of, oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, isn't that interesting? You know, it's such a gift if we had any idea that we chose this lifetime to be here, I think we would all do it differently. And the whole concept of resistance, you know, we resist what we fear most. But if, if you don't resist it and you meet it head on, whatever that fear is, then it goes away because you've done it. Oh, so I resisted that. I resisted this. I re, you know, and I'm not going to resist that anymore. I'm not going to resist this anymore. And then life just becomes... A lot easier. It's the whole... A lot easier. It's the whole, who paid you 10 bucks to dress up like a dragon? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a great one. I love oh, that one. I, I, love, I love, she, love that one. I love that when she told me that. So, Sue, I work at chat all day long. How do people find out more about you? Do you tell us about your places you can be contacted? Okay. Well, they can certainly go to the website, mm-hmm. and that is suepagini.com. Uh, they can go to the second website I have, which is my blogging work. Um, not a lot of new stuff on there right now because I've been so busy with the horses, but that's called, uh, blogging with Sue.com. Is there a, uh, is there a link to those blogs from your Sue Bikini website? website? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, from the I website. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You just click at the top and it'll yep. say, go right to the blogging and yep. it, you can go right there. So that, uh, that's how they'll know more. And, yep. What about um, social media? You on any of the social media uh, yeah, platforms? Facebook, f- Facebook, uh, all the social media platforms. And it's just your name, just Supergini. It's just my name. Okay. Uh, and once you just pop Supergini in, uh, Google, Google will just list everything that's that's. It will just take there. you to all the places. Well, all the places. Thank you so much for joining me. I think you you are weaving magic in the world. I think it's just wonderful what you're doing. Well, you're so sweet, and and and. Um, you know, you're doing the same. So it, it's so exciting to meet a federal, fellow, fellow traveler who is looking for each opportunity to have more magic in their lives. And uh, because we never know what's possible. We never know what's possible. And I have to keep reminding myself that when I get opportunities like this. So I can't thank you enough for having me today. Um, if any of your clients or, or any of your participants or whomever, um, listeners or viewers would have a question. A lot of folks just pop in a question. I have TDO chat on the website. Okay. Be happy to answer anyone's, anyone's question. If I can be happy to do that. You know, I, what I think today chatting with you, you, you talked a lot about being aware and looking out for the signs, you know, yes. And that's how we had this conversation today was you emailed me, nothing to do with the podcast. You emailed me about my horse training videos. And I just happened to notice at the bottom of your email was you said your name, but then it had your website. And I'm like, well, I'm curious about things. Let's have a look at this. And as soon as I read your bio, I'm like, oh, we have to have Sue on the podcast. So I'm glad you agreed to come on here and share your story. Well, I, 
I really can't thank you enough, and, and this has just been a wonderful time, and I don't know how else to say, but thank you so much. Yeah, well, thanks for joining great. me. And you guys at home, thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you again on the next episode of the Journey On Podcast. Thanks for being a part of the Journey On Podcast with Warwick Schiller. Warwick has over 850 full-length training videos on his online video library at videos.warwickschiller.com. Be sure to follow Warwick on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram to see his latest training advice and insights.